Amen. Amen. Good morning, Relentless Church. Grateful to be here with you all today. My name is Raf. For those of you who haven't had the pleasure of meeting, uh, excited. Thank you for coming to worship with us here, in, both in the room and those of you who are watching online. Um, I wanted to uh, start out with a with a little story. I uh, one of my favorite parts of my day uh, during the week is is driving my son to school. My son RJ, who's four years old. Uh, I, I drive him to preschool most mornings. And uh, in that little short seven minute ride, we have some of the best conversations. Like he's just, I never know what I'm going to get. The, the kid keeps it interesting. Sometimes it's like deep and philosophical. Sometimes it's totally random and makes no sense. Um, one time he asked me if, if he was going to have his privates in heaven. And I was like, well, I don't know, buddy. Why are you, what do you mean? Where are you going with this? He's like, well, I just want to know how I'm going to go potty up there. And I was like, all right, it's good. I like, it's good. You're smart, man. Good Good, good, good question, good question. But uh, the other day, um, you know, recently, I think I shared before, he's been having trouble. Uh, well, the kid hasn't slept in his bedroom in months, okay? And I started locking my door because I'm sick of him coming and waking me up. So now he goes in his sister's room and he climbs up into his sister's bed and sleeps with her every night. I'm talking like I'm going to Airbnb his room because he doesn't use it. It's pointless now by this point, but he's just scared. He's scared to sleep. And it, I asked him what he's scared about. It's, it's too dark. I don't want to be myself. It's uh, all these things, you know, monsters, whatever it is. And so this particular day we're driving to school and it's, he's quieter than usual. I don't hear much out of him. Then we start approaching the school and, he's, and he pipes up and he says, daddy, what are you scared of? What are you scared of? And um, I had, a, I had an answer ready for him because I have one thing that, that I'm really, really scared of uh, is snakes. <laughs> and so I said, I'm daddy scared of snakes, man. I am so scared of snakes. And he started laughing and he's like, oh yeah, remember the time that, that, that uh, you know, the snake got in the regage and he calls it regage. I hope that never changes <laughs> instead of garage. He's like, the snake came in the, in the regage and you got him. And I was like, yeah, I, rem- I remember that story, buddy. I was, I'm glad you, rem- you, like I'm the hero in the story to him, but I was scared the entire time. And I actually have a, uh, we got a, a video, a video clip of that. I will say before we play that disclaimer, um, a snake gets harmed in the filming of this video. So if it's like 30 seconds, if you, if that turns you off, you don't want to see it, please don't look. Got him. I got him. Okay. <laughs> Listen, oh man, I love it. Thank you for the encouragement. I was a little nervous. Now I did. My wife put that on Facebook and I got, there were some people, let me say this, some snake loving people who were offended. And I will, I promise you, I love you. God loves you. We will agree to disagree on this. I was not in the woods hunting snakes. He came into my house. Okay. <laughs> so we, I did what I had to do in my, in my humble opinion. Okay. Um, but, the, but seriously, like, you, first of all, why was I wearing flip-flops? I don't know, right? You see the fancy footwork? I was scared, okay? I was scared. The reality is we're, we all have our own different fears, right? We're all, we're all scared of something, um, and it's probably different for most of us. Some, for some of you, maybe it's not snakes or, or spiders, or maybe it's scary movies, or maybe it's water or heights or enclosed spaces, right? Some people, what I'm doing right now is your biggest nightmare. Public speaking is your biggest fear. Or, or maybe it's, um, you know... 
sickness, getting that, that diagnosis, or, or for many of us, it's, it's, it's death, right? If not our own, then, then maybe that of a, of a loved one. But, but the reality is, on some level, we all experience fear because it's a natural part of the human condition. In fact, I would argue, in some cases, it's, it's healthy, okay? If people didn't feel fear, they wouldn't be able to protect themselves from legitimate threats, okay? Um, I think fear is a vital response to both physical and emotional danger, and, and it's been pivotal throughout human, human history, human evolution, but especially in ancient times when men and women regularly face life or death situations. Right? So this is where, it's where that, that fight or flight response come from, or, or sometimes fight or, or freeze uh, response. Uh, it's almost instinctual. It's self-preservation. It's something that comes from within us. It comes natural to us which is why I find it curious that one of the most often repeated commands from God in scripture to his people is some variation of, do not be afraid. Don't be, don't be scared. In other words, what I'm saying is if, if fear is a natural, instinctual, and in some cases even healthy part of the human experience, then why would God, our creator, tell us repeatedly in his word not to be afraid? I think, I think it has something to do with the fact that when the Bible tells us do not fear, it doesn't mean that Christians should never be afraid. It doesn't mean that we're somehow exempt from fear. It doesn't mean that you and I will never experience anxiety. What it means is that we are not to allow that fear or anxiety to rule us, to rule our lives, to, to take root in our hearts. We are not to, to be people of panic or perpetual worry. We are called to be people of faith. So when God commands us not to be afraid, what he wants is for us to fix our eyes on him, to meditate on, on, on the promises that he has made until we start experiencing that paralyzing fear melt away and our courage starts to rise. And I believe that is exactly what Esther was experiencing at the end of uh, chapter four, when she has that back and forth uh, kind of encounter with her uncle Mordecai. Just to recap, in case you're new with us or you maybe missed a week or two, we are, this is week four of a series we're doing on the book of Esther, uh, week four of a five-week series. And, and so um, just kind of cliff notes of what happened. Esther is a, a uh, Jewish a woman, young lady who, who becomes queen of, of Persia, okay? Her uncle, Mordecai, uh, also works kind of in the king's court, uh, maybe kind of on the, on the lower level. And, and uh, basically, she, the king, Xerxes, chooses Esther out of a harem of 400 women uh, to, to become his new queen, okay? And, and uh, he doesn't know that she is a Jew. She's hidden that uh, on, on advice from her uncle Mordecai. She's hidden her, her identity as a Jew. And, and so uh, there's, a, there's a really bad mean, like the villain of the story. His name is Haman. Uh, Joy did an amazing job breaking him down last week, talking about his pride. But he's the villain of the story. He, um, he, he's number two, just underneath only the king, and, and uh, Mordecai is the only man in the kingdom who refuses to bow to him. And this sets Haman off. And he decides, I'm not, here's my revenge. I'm not just going to kill Haman. I'm going to kill all the Jews. And he says, a year from now, he sets the date. We're going to annihilate all the Jews in the kingdom. Mordecai gets word of this. By this time, his niece is, is the queen of Persia. And, and so he sends word to her and says, hey, you need to do something. You need, a, you, need a, you need to reveal your identity to the king and plead your case, our case, for your people. Okay. 
But Esther quickly reminds him that she could be killed just for showing up at the king's doorstep. There was a law, in fact, that had said if you approach a king without him summoning for you, he could take your life. Okay, to which Mordecai responds, hey, if they come for us, they're coming for you too. Okay, don't think, don't make the mistake of thinking because you're in the palace now that you're safe from this. When they come for all the Jews, they're coming for you. Our fate is, is tied together. And then he says that amazing line in verse 14 uh, to her that um, full of, of hope, but also challenging hard truth. He says, what if you became queen for such a time as this? For such a time as this, what if God put you here in this time, in this place, so that you could save our people? And so that's where we're going to pick it up this morning. Esther chapter 4, verse 15. This is Esther's response, okay? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish... I perish. I love this verse because it vividly communicates to me both Esther's fear and her faith at the same time, right? She's clearly afraid and for good reason. She could, she could be killed just for seeking an audience with, with the king, not to mention the fact that, that she, she's been hiding. She's been concealing her true identity as a Jew from him the whole time, okay? That, that, how do you think that's going to go when she reveals that to him? So of course, she's, a, she's, she's scared, but you also see her faith, again, in that amazing line, if I, if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. So be it. I mean, there's three things that really stood out to me um, that I think God would have us uh, step into and, 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 and receive this morning uh, from Esther's response. Number one, I can't do this alone. I can't do this alone. Esther tells Mordecai, I want you to go out and get all of our people together, gather up all the Jews and fast for me. And me and my attendants, me and my girls in the palace, we're going to be doing the same thing. Okay? Fasting was always accompanied by prayer all throughout the Old Testament. When you hear fasting, there was prayer. So when, when Esther tells Mordecai, go get everyone together and fast, it would have been assumed that they were praying too. They went hand in hand. So fasting and prayer. Esther's calling on her community to pray and to fast on her behalf, to cry out to God on her behalf, as if to say, I can't do this alone. I need help. Y'all, I need you in this with me. I can't, I can't do it by myself. The only way it's going to work, I can't stress enough to, to each of you this morning, as a follower of Jesus, how crucial, how pivotal, how important it is for you to have some community in your life, for you to have some people, just, not just friends, not just acquaintances. I'm talking about at least one person who loves you and loves Jesus and is ready to go to bat for you on a moment's notice, who will hold you accountable, who is real with you and you're real with them, someone who really knows you, right? If you don't have that in your life, I'm telling you, it's from scripture. I think it's so important. Community is vital to the life of a, of a follower of Jesus. I'm so, I consider myself so, so blessed to have uh, more than a handful of those people in my life, starting with my wife, uh, the staff at this church, and so David and Seth and, and Joy and, and Takesha, like we, we, we got a text message train where we're constantly praying for each other and, and just being real about what we're going through and what's going on and, 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 and making sure that we're, we're encouraging each other and holding each other accountable. I got a group of guys I do the, I do the same thing with, okay? And so again, I, I feel 
blessed to have that. And we study scripture together and we're on, like a key component to this is honesty and authenticity, right? If I'm holding back, it don't help me and vice versa. So, but I would just encourage you. When I lived in Kentucky, before we moved to North Carolina, I had, a, I had, two, I had two guys, really. One was a, my friend Eric, who's the children's pastor. And well, I was a student pastor and, and we worked together and had a really tight relationship. And the other guy was a, my, my buddy, his name is Alex Tolbert. Okay, and you couldn't meet two people more opposite. Okay, Alex is a good old boy from Georgia. Whenever you see him, he's gonna have a cowboy hat and cowboy boots on and a big old buckle. He's got a southern drawl and he's a he's a cowman. Like he raises cattle and 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 um, again, we couldn't have we couldn't be more different except for the fact that we both love Jesus and we and we love each other, right? And 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 I share that to say. Don't look for the perfect person. Don't think, oh, it's got to be this person who's my same age and, and we have the same interests and we can hang out and be friends. That's not what this is, right? In your other friendships, you can look for that. Look for someone here's a prerequisite. They love Jesus. They love you. They're willing to be authentic and real and hold each other accountable. If you don't have that, I'm telling you, that's your homework today. Get that person in your life. It's crucial. It's so important. I can't do this alone. I can't do this alone. That's what Esther's saying. Number two. I need supernatural help. I need supernatural help. Not only does Esther understand that she needs community, but she has the wisdom and the presence of mind to know that that she needed supernatural help as well. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's why she calls on her people to join her in prayer and fasting. Okay, they're beseeching God, they're crying out to him, and they are expecting him to move on their behalf. Now, a typical fast in these days was 24 hours. It was a one-day fast. And so the fact that Esther calls them to pray and fast for three days, okay, it just signifies, it highlights the, the importance, the significance, the heaviness, the gravity of this situation that she's in right now. Esther knows instinctively, this thing is much bigger than me. It's much bigger than us. And the only way we can get through this, the only way it's going to work, the only chance we have is if God shows up and does what only God can do. And so we're coming to you, God, she says. We're trusting you, God. We're putting it in your hands. We're believing, we're expecting that you will deliver us. Man, prayer is such a powerful weapon. It's such a powerful weapon that God has given us because it invites his supernatural help. His supernatural help, the things that we can't do in, in our own human, human flesh. Now, prayer for me, I've shared many times before, um, this was the part in my spiritual walk, my journey, um, that I had to work on the most. It didn't come as naturally. I found it hard. Sometimes I still struggle with it, but it's also the place where I've seen the most growth, where God's been showing up as I committed to it, okay? And so I want to just share with you guys one of the, one of the resources that I've um, Stumbled across that has been super helpful for me recently. It's a free app. It's called uh, Pray First, the Pray First app. Um, a church, uh, it's a mega church in Alabama called Church of the Highlands. They put this, out, uh, this app out. Again, it's free. It's got a ton of prayer resources, all types of different models of prayer, how, how to pray, why we pray, walking through different things. Um, it's got, they've got an archive of prayer services that they've done where, you know, you lead you through a couple worship songs and some guided prayer and, and um, just, just some really, really good stuff. And it's been helping me and it's been blessing me and God's been meeting me there. So I encourage you. But, but, but the point is, um, there's power in, in prayer, okay? And it's, it's vital. We need supernatural help, right? Number three, speaking of prayer, Prayer changes my perspective. Prayer changes my perspective. 
C.S. Lewis, uh, one of his most famous quotes says, prayer does not change God, it changes me. Prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. That's been my experience. God, we don't pray for God because he needs it, right? We pray because we need it, and he does something in us through it, through the process. There's a, um, I heard a, a, a pastor preach on another C.S. Lewis quote one day that I'd never heard. I'd heard this one before quite a few times, but, but this time he brought up uh, one that, that uh, I, I should have had it on the screen, but it won't be there. So <laughs> I'm going to try to remember it. But basically he said, he said uh, the only prayer for most of us, the, the only prayer was Jesus's prayer at Gethsemane. That should be the only model. Moving mountains can wait. He said for most of us, Jesus's prayer at Gethsemane should be the only model. And what he's, what he's saying there is, is if you remember the Jesus's prayer at Gethsemane, that was the night that he was arrested, okay, the night before he would go to the cross and die, and that's when uh, he came to, to the Lord. I think John said that he was, he was sorrowful unto death, that he was crying tears of blood, and he comes to God in, in that moment of, of um, just anguish, and, and he cries out and says, God, I don't want to do this. If you can, please take this from me. Take this from me. In other words, God, I'm scared. I look at the cross and I'm scared and I, don't, I know I'm supposed to do this and, and I don't, but I'm telling you, I don't want to. But then he, of course, follows that up with not my will, but yours, God. Not my will, but yours. In other words, I can't, God, it doesn't make sense to me and I'm scared and I don't want to do it and I can't see it, but I know you see something I can't see, so help me see that too. Change my perspective. Jesus was praying for a change of perspective and God answered that prayer. How do we know? Well, because Scripture tells us that, that, that between that prayer and Jesus' death on the cross the very next day, uh, Jesus began to look at the cross with joy in his heart. Hebrews 12, chapter 2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him. Now, that, that's not to say that Jesus regarded the cross itself as joy. He knew it was going to be excruciating. He knew it was going to be horrendous. He didn't want to do it. But God changed his perspective, and that enabled him to see past the cross to the joy on the other side of it, the joy in the salvation of his people, the joy in the freedom for everyone who would follow him, including us, for the joy set before him. Jesus got a new perspective, and that perspective enabled him to look past the horror of the cross and, and, and see the beauty behind it. Prayer changes my perspective, and perspective changes everything. Prayer changes my perspective, and perspective changes everything. We see things in the natural, but God sees them in the supernatural. In the natural, all Esther could see was her fear. She couldn't see past that, but then, then she prayed, and she prayed what I believe is the same prayer that Jesus prayed. God, if you can't take this from me, then change my perspective. Help me to see it the way that you see it. God, I want your will. I'll line my heart up with yours. I want your will, not, not my, my will. Help me to see it from your point of view. Some of you in this room today, you've been praying for God to move a mountain. And you've been praying so long, so hard, that you're tired and you're frustrated. And you're about ready to give up. Because it hadn't happened yet. Nothing's happened yet. And, and believe me, I get it. I've been there. I don't blame you one bit. But what God's been teaching me through this, what I think he's bringing us to, is what if we started modeling our prayers after 
the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. That same prayer, again, that I believe Esther prayed. What if we prayed for God to change our perspective? To change the way we see things. To align our hearts with him so that his will would truly become our will. How would, how would that change things for us? How, what kind of effect would that have on my faith, on my trust in God? How would that change my outlook on this life? Because it was a game changer for Jesus. It changed everything for Esther. Prayer changes my perspective, and perspective changes everything. The last verse in, in chapter 4, verse 17, um, says, So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Now, this doesn't seem very important, but I think it's significant for, for this reason. Up to this point in her life, Esther had obeyed pretty much everything that Mordecai instructed her to do. After all, he was her father figure, right? He was, he was her friend. He was her mentor. He was her spiritual leader, and, and all since she was a little girl. And so it would make sense that, that, that she would follow his lead. But at this point, there's a clear shift in that dynamic. There's a clear shift in the relationship. There's a kind of changing of the guard, if you will. Right? Esther now begins to take the lead. Growing up in my house um, as a kid, there was kind of an unspoken rule at the dinner table. Um, it became spoken when you tried to break it, uh, but, but it, was, it was basically dad gets a big piece of chicken. All right, like it didn't have to be chicken. It gets the, he gets the big plate, the big serving. He gets served first, right? My dad always got the big piece of chicken. That's just how it was. My mom was kind of old school, and that's, that's, that's how it went. And, and it wasn't a big deal until I became a teenager, and my appetite started growing, and I was like, all right, I'm going to test this a little bit and start reaching for that big piece of chicken and get a wooden spoon in the hand real quick, right? Like, oh, yeah, that's not for me. That's not for me, right? But I remember after getting, shortly after getting married and having our first kid, we were living in Kentucky at the time, my wife and I went home uh, back to Boston to visit, and we sat down to dinner. My mom makes a big feast, and, uh, and I'll never forget, she comes and she puts down the plate in front of me, and I looked down, and I looked over my dad's plate, and I looked at my mom, and she just kind of like gave me like a knowing, like a little smirk, you know, and I was like, she gave me the big piece of chicken. I got the big piece of chicken. Now, I'm telling you, they're probably watching online. My dad might have a different recollection of this story, okay? But for me, I, that was a moment right there, right? I even, I looked at him, and he was like, it wasn't like the look she gave me, but he, wasn't, he was just kind of like passive, like, except like, okay, like, I see it, but I ain't going to say anything, you know? And I swear, it was for me, it was like, all right, man, not like, oh, you're the leader of this family now, but it was like, hey, you know what? We've taken you as far as we can go. Now you're a man in your own right, and you're taking this thing, and you got people looking to you and following you, and, 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 and you're going you're gonna to take this thing to the next step, right? And, and again, my dad may not say it meant all that, right? I'm, I'm half joking with him right now so that <laughs> just to get a rise out of him. But, but, but what I'm being serious about is that moment in life, right? That moment in life, that changing of the guard where the student becomes the teacher. Okay, Mordecai and Esther both, both realize that by this point, he's taken her as far as he can go. And her fate is now in her own hands. And it's going to be up to her to follow God or not where he wants to take her the rest of the way. And, and, you know, from there on out, there's going to be other people, lots of people, in fact, depending on her, looking to her to lead them. And in fact, that's exactly what happened, right? As, as just, if I could just summarize the rest of, you know, maybe chapters five through seven, basically, uh, Esther shows up at the king's doorstep. He grants her an audience. He, he 
you know, puts down his scepter, meaning, yeah, you can come talk to me. She comes in and he says, make any requests. And she says, well, actually, I just want to throw you a party. I'm going to have a banquet for you. Uh, just two guests, you and Haman will be my guests of honor. He's like, that sounds amazing. Let's do it. Show up and, and, and you know, have a great time at the banquet. Uh, Haman is, is, is uh, really happy with himself. Now, um, I will say Esther, scripture tells us she was very beautiful. She was not only beautiful, but she was also smart and strategic. She wants to remind the king why he chose her in the first place. So she's buttering him up. She plies him with wine. She makes sure he has a good time, and, and along with his friend Haman. And, and so Haman leaves the, the, the feast, the, the banquet, and he's, uh, you know, he's in high spirits. He's feeling good about himself right up until the point he sees Mordecai again, and Mordecai doesn't bow. And he goes home, and he's all in his, he's, he's, the insecurity's risen up again. He's, he's in his feelings, and he gets with his wife and his friends, and they're encouraging him, and they're like, oh, let's do that. We'll, let, I know what we'll do. We'll put a stake, a huge pole in our front lawn, and we'll kill Mordecai on it. But that's, that, that's, that's what we need to do. And, and so that's what they decide. Meanwhile, the king has trouble sleeping that night, okay? And his servants read to him the book of the kingdom, which is basically just a book of the history of his, his kingdom, all the things that have happened. And it just so happens that they open up to the page of the account where Mordecai saves the king's life, which he had forgotten. Now, I say it just so happens because, remember, Mordecai and Esther and all the other Jews have been praying and fasting for days. Okay, so could it be that it was God who was keeping a king up at night and pointing him exactly to what he needed to see? King wakes up the next day and he sends for Haman. Haman comes in and unknowingly, right, in the irony of all ironies, he unknowingly recommends to the king that, that he have him, he himself be the one who honors Mordecai all throughout the streets, right? And, and so um, the king uh, Esther invites the king and, and more, uh, excuse me, Haman to another banquet. And finally, finally, at the second banquet, the time is right. Esther reveals to the king her true identity as a Jew. And she says, hey, the man who's trying to kill me, who's trying to kill Mordecai, my uncle, and all the other Jews is this vile man, Haman. King loses it, kills Haman on his own pole that he had set for Mordecai. Mordecai becomes the king's new number two in charge. He and Esther save all the Jewish people. Bad guys lose. Good guys win. Game over. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at God, right? Look at God. But remember that the whole thing hinges on that one moment at the end of chapter four when Esther is faced with crippling fear. Certain death staring her face to face. And she had a choice to make. She had to choose. Do I, do I give in to that fear? Do I stay quiet? Do I try to, try to save my own self? Or should I look to God, put my trust in God, and follow him right through the heart of that fear? And of course, we know that she chose to trust God over her fear. And not what I want to point out to you all today, it's, it's not because uh, she was some kind of superhero. It's not because uh, she was especially gifted or because she possessed anything that you and I do not have access to. I believe it was because in that moment, she had the presence of mind to lean on her community. She said, I can't do this alone. She recognized the spiritual nature of her battle. I need supernatural help, God. We can't do this without you. And she prayed God's will, not her own. Prayer changes my perspective. And perspective changes everything. I opened up with that, that story about my son driving to school. Um, 
we talked through his fears, you know, as we were, we were driving. And, and what I love about, he goes to a, a Christian preschool. And, and what I love is obviously they teach him uh, some Bible verses and they teach him songs about God. And one of his favorite songs that he sings all the time is, my God is so big. I don't know if you've ever heard that one or we do it sometimes in, in RC Kids, but they do the, the motions and everything, right? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the rivers are his, the stars are his handiwork. He does the whole thing, right? But we're in the car on the way to school. He's in the back seat doing the whole thing. And we just, the verse, it's the same verse. It just goes over and over. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. By the time we get into, into carpool, man, and we're creeping up in, he's this big, right? He's, he's only this, but he's like, he's like, I can take on anything, right? My God is so big. And, and so he's ready for the day, man. There's nothing the world can throw at him, right? And, and, and you know, that song is about perspective, it's about perspective. Now, it's meant for preschoolers, and I use it to encourage my four-year-old son, but in the process, God used it to encourage me and to remind me of the power of perspective. God's perspective really does change everything. It changes everything. Now, if I was being really honest with my son uh, that morning, I would have said, in fact, when he's a little bit older, I probably will tell him the truth, which is that I'm scared all the time. I'm scared all the time, buddy. Now, I don't, uh, I don't know if that's cool to say. I don't know if, if that's smart for a pastor to say, standing up here in front of his church, but it's, it's the truth. I'm scared all the time. I just think about my life in the past few months. I, I shared not too long ago, I think, but, but my wife and I, we've been in this process for almost two years now where, where uh, we, we kind of stepped out in faith to, to uh, foster and adopt a family member, uh, a beautiful little girl who, who uh, you know, wound up in the, in the system and, and needed a, a place to stay because her, her mom and dad, uh, they got messed up, made some bad decisions, and she got taken away from them. And, and uh, we just, we, we, we prayed on it and felt like God was calling us to provide a home. And, and that process was long and hard and court and lawyers and, and getting, going to school for, get certified for foster care and all that stuff. And the last time I shared with you all, we were like right in the middle of it and we didn't know which way it was going to go. But I told y'all, right, either one of two things is going to happen. She's going to come live with us. We're going to adopt her into our family, much like God adopts all of us into his family. It's a beautiful picture of who he is and his love and his grace and God gets the glory. Amen. Right. Or God does a miracle in a mom's life and in her heart and he restores a mother and a daughter and restores a family and God gets the glory for that as well, right? And I said, God's will, not mine. And I meant it, right? That's what happened. God did a miracle in mom's life. She got her child back there together. And we really do. Y'all can clap for that because we're going to give him the glory for that. We are. And we're going to trust him with that. But that doesn't mean it wasn't hard. When we got that call and that decision came down, I was left wondering, okay, I, your will, not mine. I mean it. I said it and I meant it, God. But you could have done that without me. You could have done that without putting us through this whole thing. So what was it about? What was it, what was it for? Right? And, and, and a couple weeks later, uh, my wife calls me into the bedroom and she's holding a little white stick. And, uh, and she's like, oh, we're, we're pregnant. Number four is on the, on the way. And, and we weren't... Um, wasn't, I, we weren't necessarily planning on that. I'll put it that way, right? I, could, I can't say it's a surprise. I know how those things work, but we weren't necessarily planning on that, right? Uh, but so, so instantly I'm like, all right, well, God, maybe you were preparing us for a fourth child this way. Like maybe that's what it was about, right? We're, we're excited. We're, we're going to figure this thing out. A um, couple weeks later, we get another call from, from Florida saying, hey, you know what? Um, the little girl has a sister, 
And she's been with her grandma the whole time. She's been raised by her grandmother since she was born. Grandma has custody and, and has, um, you know, uh, she, she, she's her guardian. But grandma's in her 70s, and she's just been hospitalized. And we're praying and hoping she makes through. But if she does, even if she does, and when she does, she's not going to be able to raise a four-year-old girl anymore. It's, it's, it's not, it's not going to work. You guys um, were willing to take her sister. Would you take her too? Now, the only thing that's changed now is we got Gonzalez baby number four on the way, and, 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 but, but we didn't have to pray long or very hard uh, for, f- to, to get the answer yes, right? Yes, of course, we're willing to do this. We're trusting you, God. It's, the picture's starting to come together. I think this is what you want. We believe it's what you want. But then the fear starts sitting in. Okay, um, three kids to five kids in a matter of months. Um, Kids are pretty expensive. Our house isn't big enough. We need a bigger house now. We got to sell our house and buy a new house. Okay, uh, that means a bigger mortgage. Um, man, okay, this girl's been raised by someone else for four years. Her, you know, her mom and dad and all the, all the complications and issues. And um, what's that going to, am I going to be a good dad to her? What's that going to look like? Am I going to, what's, man, what, how are my kids going to react? How's it going to affect the three kids that I have, have now? How's it going to affect our marriage? Who's going to need counseling through this day? Probably all of us. What's that going to cost, right? And, it, and, and, and it's one thing after another, and it, it doesn't take long for the fears to start rising up. And if I'm not careful, I know that it will consume my mind, and it will infect my heart to the point that I become paralyzed, frozen, just by the sheer weight of it all. But thank God, thank God, I don't have to do this alone. Thank God that I have a community of people that God put in my life to help me carry that weight. And that together, we can all call upon the name of a really big God, a really big God who is not bound by the natural. I have a supernatural helper. His name is Jesus. He sent his spirit to live in me. There's never been a day he hasn't been by my side. He hears our prayers. And he answers them. And because he does, I have a new perspective. My God is so big, so strong, so mighty, that my fears, my problems, my circumstances, my situation cannot help but seem smaller in comparison to his glory, his grace, his love, his beauty, his kindness. And in light of that perspective, excuse me, I can honestly say this. You know what my biggest fear really is? You know what the, the thing I'm most afraid of, anything in, in this life, in this world, is being outside of God's will. I don't want to live a, a day, much less a moment, outside of God's will for my life. And I think that's just the same realization that Esther came to. And it's why she ultimately chose to follow God no matter what. Because almost as often, and just as important, if not more, than God's commands to his people not to be afraid, is his command to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Now, some people hear that. I used to hear, fear, fear God, fear the Lord. What? I thought he was my father. I thought he was all loving. Why would I be, why, we're supposed to be scared of God? I had a friend uh, put it to me this way once, kind of helped me, was like, think about Mount Everest, 
right? The largest mountain peak on the, on the world. Pretend you're standing up there and you're looking out and it's just like, you can't help but be in awe, like amazed at its beauty and its glory and its grandeur and how big and how just, uh, just special it is, right? But you're also, you've got like a healthy respect. Like you're going to tread lightly because it's a long way down, right? You don't, you, you're, you're going you're gonna to kind of be up there with respect. And so it's a combination of that awe and that, that uh, at, at the glory and marveling at, at how amazing he is, but also so, you know, you're going you're gonna to do the right thing because, you know, it could be dangerous up there. That's just a snapshot, right, of, of fear of the Lord. But, but Moses described it this way to, to, to God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Moses is saying, hey, it's the fear of God that is the basis for our walking with him for our obeying him, for our our choosing him, and yes, for loving him. In other words, it's the fear of the Lord that puts all our other fears into perspective. And then Moses wraps it up in verse 22 like this. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. I love what Moses is doing here. Don't miss it. He's driving the point home. Hey, by the way, Fear God, right? But in case you don't know, in case you need a reminder of who God is, right? Remember, remember Abraham? Remember the promise God made to Abraham that he would take one man and make a nation out of him? One man who, who was almost 100 and had a wife in her 80s and who, who wasn't able to have kids, and he said he was going to make uh, descendants. Their descendants would be uh, more than the stars in the sky. Moses says, guess what? You all are those descendants, we're living in that promise right now. We're the recipients of it. That's who our God is. He's reminding the people. Now picture Esther. In the middle of her struggle, she's praying, she's fasting, she's seeking God, asking for his perspective, his will, not hers, and he brings her mind to this scripture, which she would have known very well. Her uncle Mordecai would have made sure of it. Fear the Lord. Remember his promises. Trust him. Keep your eyes on him. Follow him. Suddenly her fears start to melt away and her courage rises. Her faith rises. And she says, if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. So be it. God's got me. He's got this. It reminds me of those faith verses we talked about in Hebrews 11. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurances about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for, remember? And then the author uh, continues in verse six, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's not just initial faith, but it's a persevering faith that pleases God. It's not just faith in the moment to say, yes, I believe in you, but it's faith when the moment gets really, really hard and you're faced with a hard decision and you don't know what to do and you're scared for your life that, and you 
choose to trust God then in that moment like Esther did. That's the kind of faith he's calling us to. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. That's the kind of faith that Esther had. Faith in God's actions in the past. Faith in God's presence in the present. Faith in God's promises for the future. And ultimately, her faith was rewarded. I came here believing, I came here expecting, I came here full of faith, relentless church, that ours will be too. That our faith will be rewarded if we continue to fix our eyes on him. Do you believe that, church? Do you receive that this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Esther, Lord. It's just a a, a revelation unto itself, God. We are so grateful for, for, Lord, all the ways that you showed up in a, in a, in a narrative, in a story, God, um, in the scripture that, that doesn't mention your name once. You couldn't be more present, God, for them then and for us now. God, I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, I, I say everyone who, who is experiencing some sort of fear, no matter what that looks like. If they're not currently, Lord, knowing that they will, knowing that they have in the past, Lord, I pray that, that you would, God, draw us to the same thing you drew Esther to, that the same thing that you drew Jesus to, Lord, that we would pray for your perspective, that you would plant deep in our hearts your will for our lives, your grace, your love, Lord, your mercy, your forgiveness, the reality of who you are, God, that we would fear nothing on this earth except for you, And that that would draw us closer to you, Lord. And that we would be people of faith who follow you anywhere you lead. And that we would leave a mark on this world, Lord. That it will never be the same as a result. God, help us to be who you're calling us to be. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his love and his grace. Lord, we love you. It's in his name. Amen. All right, y'all. Next week, we are wrapping up Esther, and I'd love to see you all here. So please come back. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you soon.